0: Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy
1: that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew.
0: We're in a series called seven life lessons where every week we're looking at one truth that will transform your life We're so glad that you're joining us wherever you are on your spiritual journey wherever you are in the world We hope that this will be an encouragement to you if you're with us every week Welcome back and if this is your first time logging in Uh, Welcome, we're especially glad that you're here. We'd love to hear from every one of you. Would you take a moment to fill out the online connection card before you log off? We're about to jump into this series, which is just a continuation of our study of the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, or if you have your Matthew journals, get them out. We're somewhere in Matthew's chapter 14 through 16, where Jesus teaches these powerful lessons. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life Church. And again, we're glad that you've joined us today. If you'd like more information about Branch Life, if you'd like to give online, if you'd like to find more shareable resources, uh, you can find all of that at branchlife.church. And we'd love to connect with you more there. And if this message is helpful to you today, don't forget to share it with your friends on social media. Hey, grab your Bibles, grab your Matthew journals. Let's dive into today's life
1: lesson remember the life lessons your dad taught
0: you dads teach the best life lessons
1: i remember the first of many life lessons my dad taught me by making paper airplanes he taught me how to fold and measure the paper so it was sure that was amazing i learned so much our heavenly Father also teaches life lessons. He said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it.
0: We're on life lesson number 6, and so we're we're just about to finish and and what are the point? What's the point of life lessons? What's the point of lessons in general? You know, if you were a teacher in front of a class and you were teaching your third lesson of the year or your 300th lesson of the year, the point of the lesson is that we as students could learn something. Disciple is just another name for student, right? And we want to be students. We want to be learners of, from Jesus and learners from God's word. I, I've seen online this, this thing advertised for the master class, Right? where they bring in like this world-famous chef or this world-famous, uh, uh, um, uh, some other expert athlete or a world-famous author or a world-famous composer, and they're going to do a master class on composition or on, on, on chef stuff, right, how to cook, right? And that, they do this master class that's incredible, and you get to learn from the best of the best, and you're all in for those lessons. These lessons that we've been going over are lessons from the best of the best. I mean, Jesus is the master, he is the master class teacher, and if you want to excel in life, you want to lean into the life lessons that Jesus gives you. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, lean into Jesus and learn from him, and, and he will teach you incredibly powerful things. The life lesson that we're going to touch on today, it actually it's going to be a springboard. There's a lot of incredible things that come up, but it, it kind of wraps around this thought that's unnatural to all of us that we need someone to teach us. How many of you have heard the adage, it's better to give than receive? Raise of hands. All right, all of us. How many of you believe it? When did you start believing it? Now, I have kids. Most of you have had kids. When I say to my kids, kids, it's better to give than receive. They go, yeah, great and then in the back of their minds, baloney. You're telling me it would be far better to take all the presents under the Christmas tree and ship them off to families around the world than it would be for me to open them? Do you still believe it? Are you telling me that it would be better to give somebody else a four-door, six-foot bed Toyota Tacoma, brand new, off the assembly line, than to have one appear in my driveway for me? Do you still believe it? It is not natural for us to believe this, this lesson that it's better to give than receive. And we say we believe it, but rarely do we show it. Rarely do we practice it, rarely do we go all in and just relive your childhood and ask yourself, have I really bought into this life lesson that it's better to give and receive? Let me try to talk you out of it for a second. I believe that giving is an act of generosity. Follow me here for a minute. Generosity is an act of sacrifice. In other words, I'm giving something That's mine, that I have access to, that I have the ability to have, and I am giving it away, whether it's my time, my stuff, my energy, my talents, my money. And when I give it generously, it hurts. As a matter of fact, if you give and it doesn't hurt, I wouldn't call it generous, I would call it convenient. So generosity means sacrifice. Sacrifice means suffering. When you offer something as a living sacrifice, when you give something sacrificially, that's painful. That hurts. That causes anguish. That causes energy and effort. So I can make a connection between giving and suffering. When I give, I'm actually suffering. If I'm doing it correctly. Is it still better to give than receive? Do you still believe it? Life lesson number six, we're going to put this way today. It's harder to give than receive. I didn't say better. I said harder. It is harder to give and receive. And listen, we all need a master class teacher for this lesson. We need to look at the ultimate example of giving and generosity to understand what this means today and that ultimate example, that master class teacher is Jesus Christ himself. And if anyone would be able to explain to us that it's harder to give and receive, that would be Jesus because Jesus has given everything. Jesus has given all and he can stand before us and say it was hard to give and it's hard. To give. It's far harder to give than it is to receive. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read this passage together, Uh, just several verses that we're going to cover today. And we're going to end in a spirit of, of praise with Jesus as we're in this Thanksgiving season. Let's read this together Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, page 90 in your journals. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Now we've circled the word show up here on our uh, verses today. Showing someone something is just another way of teaching them. Remember, if I'm teaching by example, if I'm leading by example, I am giving a path that other people can follow. To be a disciple means that I'm following the path of my rabbi, I'm following the path of of my teacher, I'm following the path of my leader, so much so that I'm covered in his dust. And Jesus is showing his disciples, this phrase is specific in this moment, showing. He's talking to them about an action or activity that they will eventually also be participating in. And all of us participate in, in some way, shape, or form, if we're a follower of Jesus. So Jesus is showing, he's teaching, he's leading his disciples into this, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, from the people there, and be killed. On the third day, he will be raised. And Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Now as we tear apart these three verses and we think about them for a moment, Jesus is showing his disciples how to suffer. He's talking to them about this incredible gift that he's going to give of himself. He's going to lay down his life. He's going to die. It's going to be giving. It's generosity that leads to sacrifice, that leads to pain. And Jesus is going to go through all of that. And if we are truly a disciple or a student of Jesus, we must learn from him. So in this moment, what what is he asking the disciples to learn? He's asking the disciples to learn from his master class, his life example. And so there are three prayers that I believe that every disciple should pray as a result of these verses. We're going to look at those three prayers today. Now the first prayer is a difficult one. And you may have never prayed this prayer. As a matter of fact, you've probably prayed the opposite of this prayer. Prayer number one from a disciple is this. Lord, teach me to suffer. Lord, teach me to suffer. I literally said to someone we're going to talk about this prayer today. And the prayer is, Lord, teach me to suffer. And the person that I was talking to said, whoa, don't pray that prayer. Because he might actually do it. He might actually teach me to suffer. And what do we usually pray? We usually pray, Lord, keep me from suffering. Get me out of this pain. Get me out of this hurt. I don't want to go through that. I want to be, I want to be healed. I want to be relieved. I want to be brought above. I don't want to stay in this suffering this place of pain and agony and hurt I don't want to be in suffering so God get me out of this this is a drastically different prayer That Jesus is extending to his disciples, and he's saying to the disciples, listen, if you follow me, if you learn from me, if you watch me, if you come after me, you will have to suffer. And so I'm going to show you how to suffer, and if you are open-hearted, you will learn this incredibly valuable, important lesson about how to suffer. Listen, we're not going to be able to avoid suffering. Suffering, as we said in life lesson number one, is guaranteed. Even more so for followers of Jesus. We live in a sinful and broken world. There is pain and there is pain every day that we will go through. Some of you are in a season of suffering right now. And what if instead of praying, God get me out. What if we prayed, Lord show me how to get through. Show me, show me how to suffer well. Show me how to suffer like you suffered so that we could have a theology of suffering. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And remember, Jesus went willingly. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the commander of angel armies could have popped out at any moment, yet he walked forward into the suffering. God, teach me that. I want to know how to suffer in a way that is Christ-like and godly, that enables me to excel even in the season of a storm and so today we want to look at a theology of suffering here are two important lessons that we learn from watching Jesus in this moment lesson number one is simply this Satan uses suffering for evil but God uses suffering for good and all God's people said amen Satan uses suffering for evil but God uses suffering for good he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And Satan's like, I got him. I got him. I got Judas in my pocket. He's going to betray him. I have the scribes and the elders and the the people, and I've got the Roman leaders, and they're going to arrest him. And And then they're going to put him on a cross, and they're going to nail him. The centurions are going to do exactly what I want them to do. They're going to hang him on that cross, and he's going to die. And the king of the world is going to die on that cross. And Satan's thinking, I'm going to win in this moment, and I'm going to cause so much pain to my enemy that I am going to be victorious, and the world will be mine. And Satan is constantly trying to use suffering for evil, but... God has other plans and even though Jesus was killed on the third day he rose again stamping to death the serpent who is Satan giving victory and salvation to all who would open it be open to it and receive it and giving eternal life to everyone everywhere changing the trajectory of the world Satan meant it for evil but God meant it for good and how many times when you and I are in the midst of suffering do we just get overcome by the evil? This is bad. This is painful. This can't be good in any way. God, where are you? Wow, could you do this to me? Don't you love me anymore? And we start worrying and being anxious. This is going to go badly and wrong, and I'm going to lose, and I'm going to miss, and it's all these things are going to happen. And it's going to be awful, and it can't see anything good coming from it. When we find ourselves in that theology of suffering, All we're remembering is truth number one. Yes, Satan does want to use our suffering for evil. Satan would love to use a pandemic for evil. Satan would love to use your bankruptcy for evil. Satan would love to use your cancer for evil. Satan would love to use your relationship disaster for evil. But God, God wants to use it for good. And God is in the business. He has worked out the design of taking the suffering from us that we are in and working it together for good, so much so that he has a promise to those that love him that he will take all things and work it together for good. You know, this is the oldest trick in the book, literally. Satan trying to take suffering and use it for evil. The oldest character in the book is named Job. Job was righteous and godly, and Satan came to God, and this is the oldest story that we have in the Bible. It was the first one written thousands of years ago, and Satan says to God, uh, Satan says to God, if you let me hurt Job, he will curse you, and God says, do what you will. And Satan comes down and causes incredible suffering and loss onto Job, onto his job. He loses his kids, he loses his finances, he loses his wife, he loses his health, yet Job still praises God. And God takes this incredible pain that Satan set onto the story of Job and he turns it all together for good that in the end, double everything that Job lost was gained because he kept his faith in God. Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The very first story ever told in the Bible is that story. The story repeats itself in the person and work of Jesus as we've already talked about, Satan thought he won at the crucifixion, but Jesus rose from the dead. And it continues on as the 12 disciples go from the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to the building of the church. Every single one of the 12 disciples, including Stephen, including uh, the, the disciples that replaced Judas, every single one of the 12 and then 13, then add Paul to it, every single one of those disciples died a martyr's death. All but one, John, died young. They were crucified upside down. They were beheaded. They were speared. They they each gave their lives willingly for the sake of Christ and the church. And every time Satan hunted down one of these 12 disciples, every time he had victory in one of these, in his mind, had victory in killing off these disciples, every time God took that death, God took that martyr, God took that loss, and he multiplied it for good and the church built and the church grew and the church as promised last week was unstoppable the gates of hell will not prevail against it about a month ago now 17 missionaries from the Ohio area were down in Haiti trying to help the poorest nation in the world trying to serve and and lift up kids that were orphans families that didn't have food provide medical care for those in need and show them Jesus those 17 missionaries men women and children were all taken captive by a gang in Haiti And for the last month we haven't seen them we haven't heard from them we have no updates on how they're doing We simply know that the gang that kidnapped them wants one million dollars for each person that they're holding captive. Now imagine for a second that you're one of those 17. You've been held a prisoner from a gang for over a month. You don't know if you're ever going to see your family again. You don't know if you're ever going to be able to be free again. You don't know if this day is your last day to breathe. How would you react in that moment? What what would you think? Where would you go? Would it be be overwhelming anxiety and fear? Would it be panic? Or would you be able to say, if you were one of these 17, serving Jesus and taken captive, God, teach me to suffer. Teach me to be godly in this cage. Teach me to love my enemies. Help me to trust that you want to work this together for good. Satan's saying, Yeah, I'm winning. I'm causing pain. I'm going to rob you from your faith. And I'm going to show the world that I'm still in charge of this air. But God says, No, I can work this together for good. And we don't even know how He's going to do that yet. Now, the 17 missionaries in Haiti have a very, very hard and difficult road. But so does every Christian in Haiti. Do you know that the, that the Haitian pastors, just in the last two weeks, who are gathering their people together to worship like we are here today, have asked their church family to come to worship with machetes, bring defense, bring, bring weapons so that we can protect one another, so that we can gather and worship because we are fearful that we will be kidnapped, that we will be attacked, that we will be next. Because every day, Haitians put their life on the line Just to go get groceries. Let alone to go out and worship together as a group. How would you survive. That suffering. And that misery. Satan means it for evil. But God means it. For good. When we are able to trust. That God has good. Even in the darkest valley. Even in the hardest moment. We are able to have a strength. And a peace that comes supernaturally to seek God clearly in the midst of that storm. Probably the 17 closest people to God right now are those 17 missionaries. They have to trust him for everything. How much do we trust God for? They have to see God in every moment. They have to be thankful for the, the littlest blessings that show up, hearing the, the song of a bird outside, remembering a memory. They have, they have no reason to give thanks where they are this week, except God. And because of God, they can overflow with gratitude and even get to the point where Paul was when he was in jail and sing praises to the God of God and the King of Kings because they know this truth, that God will use their suffering for good and we can say amen, amen, and amen. Theology of suffering brings us a the second point in this passage as well. And it's simply this. Satan will attack your spiritual starting points. This is a, this is a point that we made back in Matthew chapter 4. Satan will attack your spiritual starting points. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, you, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. This is Peter, right? If you were here last week, we talked all about Peter because Jesus came to his disciples and said, Who do you think that I am? And the disciples were quiet except for Peter. Peter steps up and says, God, you are Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you are the the God in flesh. And Jesus said to Peter, celebrating Peter, Peter, blessed are you among men, on this rock I will build my church. And from that moment, which just literally happened, so that the church began to be built. The church was born. Remember we said the disciples, church, what church? And Peter was there and Peter and Peter is the one that God said, I'm going to start with you. We're going to go with Andrew and Philip and John and James and the rest of everybody. And I'm going to build my church. In that moment, seconds later, he's going from, I'm going to build my church to, get behind me, Satan. How is there such a big flip? I'm so proud of you that we're going to build our church together on this foundation, now I rebuke you because you are speaking for the devil. Why does that happen? Because Satan attacks us at our spiritual starting points. In this moment Peter had been praised, the church was being built, and the last thing that Satan wants is for the church to be built. And so if I can tear it down in its core, if I can knock over the cornerstone, if I can stop you from taking that step, I will. And so in this moment Satan attacks. This is the oldest story in the book. God created the heavens and earth. He created man and female, Adam and Eve. Who shows up in the very beginning? Satan. And he attacks Eve and says, surely you can eat from the tree of knowledge of good or evil. In the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is about to start his ministry so he goes out into the wilderness to pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And once he's done praying, he's going to step out. We like to pray first, right? That's a big deal. Jesus is doing that. He's fasting. He's praying. And Satan doesn't want Jesus to begin his ministry. So he comes out and he tempts Jesus three times to try to stop him from making spiritual progress. Right when Jesus was on a spiritual starting line, that's when Satan showed up. For the apostle Peter, literally Satan shows up moments after the church is being announced and declared. The moment the church starts, Satan shows up and attacks in that moment, and it continues to ha- it continue to happen with all of the twelve. Every step of the way, when Paul was out doing the work of God, when Peter, uh, when Matthew began to reach out to follow Jesus, he, he attacked at the start of the church over and over and over again. The persecution that these twelve faced was a direct response of spiritual warfare. Why? Because if he can kill the founders of the church he can stop this spiritual thing from happening. As a as a family, the Park family, Josh, Jen, Delaney, and Will, we began the process of planning Branch Life Church back in 2007-2018. 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021, have been four of the hardest years of our lives. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Four of the most most clear examples of Satan trying to attack our family in many, many different ways, in very specific moments, It's so fresh and it's so new that I can't even go into the details of the stories with you. But I can just say this. There have been moments where we were taking a spiritual step forward with the church. And we were getting ready to take that step. And within minutes of that step being taken, Satan showed up. And he came up in another way and another avenue to try to knock us down. To try to distract us. To try to split us apart. And we've had to travel through these difficult moments and these difficult uh, challenges as we're trying to start a church. And we've had so many conversations with God to say, God, we're trying to start a church. We're trying to do a good thing. What's the deal? Give us a break, right? Satan doesn't want any churches to be built, let alone this one. He doesn't want a church that's going to connect to Christ and reach our world to grow in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. He doesn't want new churches to start in 2020 and 21. He doesn't want people to get on fire for Jesus and reach them. And so if Satan can attack at the spiritual starting point, before we start making disciples who make disciples and planting churches that plant more churches, before we can get anywhere down the road, he's going to try to stop us where it starts. I go back to lesson number one. Satan means it for evil, but God means it for good. And while it's been some of the four hardest years that we've traveled to, add the pandemic to that, it's been four of the most amazing years we've ever seen in our lives. We've seen God's blessing, we've seen God's provision, we've seen God's protection through it all. And we're not just still standing, we're thriving by the grace of God, even in difficult moments and in difficult times, because God is still on the move. We have a friend of ours who came to church about uh, maybe two months ago. Sat in the church service, just passionately drawn to worship, loved investigating God's word, had tears uh, crawling down her face, wrote on her connection card to say, God spoke to me, I'm so excited, I can't wait to be back, and hasn't been back since. Do you know why? Every weekend, something's come up. Not something little, something big. Every weekend, she's tried to gear herself up and her family to come and do something that they're not used to doing, coming out to worship together. And every weekend, that has been derailed. Why? Satan doesn't want her connecting with the church. Satan doesn't want to see her worship. Satan doesn't want to see her grow in a relationship with God. Satan doesn't want to see her make connections within the family of God. And so when she's right at the spiritual starting point, man, Satan's going to step in. We announced last week that Chris Beck is going to become our missions resident. We have a missions intern, and he wants to go reach unreached people groups for Jesus. And we're going to come together. He's going to be on our leadership team, and we're going to move him forward. Do you know that ever since we've made that agreement and announcement with Chris, Chris hasn't been to church? It's been a month. You want to know why? Satan doesn't want Chris to reach unreached people groups in the other part of this world. If he can stop him now, and he's throwing curveball after curveball at Chris, and right now, literally right now, Chris is at home uh, sick because his parents have COVID. Is there a coincidence in that? Nope. Because Chris is trying to take spiritual steps forward. Now, we'll go back to promise number one. God means it for good Satan means it for evil when we see these attacks when we feel them coming we don't get discouraged by them we don't get overwhelmed by them we actually get reminded that we must be up to something good there must be some major thing happening why because otherwise we wouldn't even have Satan's attention he wouldn't care but he does and he's attacking and that's a good thing because if Satan means it for evil, God can take it and use it for good. And every time, every time Chris is like, Josh, I don't know what's going on. I want to connect. I want to move forward. But I'm just, it just, I can't. I can't do it. I'm like, it's all right, Chris. God's got something good. God's got something good. We're going to just keep moving forward. Man, this theology of suffering changes everything when we pray, Lord, teach me to suffer. Now, a disciple's prayer number two will be done in a moment. It's simply this. Lord, teach me to reset my mind. Lord, teach me to reset my mind. And the reason that Peter was speaking for the devil was because of this. God says to him, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So the key to victory, the key to a successful life, a key to learning the lessons that God gives us, is to set our minds on things of God, not on things of earth. This is a running theme in the Bible in Romans chapter 12, verses One and two, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That by testing, you can discern what the will of God is, what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. That's in suffering and out of suffering. In Colossians 3, one and two, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your what? Minds. On the things that are above. Not on the things, on the earth, but how many times do we get fixated on the earth stuff? How many times do we get fixated on the, on the people stuff, on the world stuff, on the stuff stuff? And we get distracted from the God stuff that's going on all around us. So here's a quick theology of thinking. Number one, focus more on the word and less on the world. How, God, do I reset my mind? He says, set it by renewing it on the things of this world. Listen, you've got to spend time in the word of God. This has to be your filter. This has to be your power source. This has to be your go-to. And this has to come into your spirit and being and rhythms on a regular basis because this counteracts the message of the world. And so I have to spend more time focusing on the Word than the world. And if the world is saying this and the Word is saying that, I'm going to go with the Word. And the Word is going to be my power and the Word is going to be my encouragement. We have got to spend rhythm. Now, I don't know if you're a reader or not. I had a good friend of mine I just was talking to this week. We had a great conversation about life, liberty, COVID, and the pursuit of happiness. And it was all this kind of stuff that was going on. And she actually said to me, she's never had more time in the word of God than over this last season because she figured something out. She figured out that she's an audible learner, not a visual learner. I'm not a visual learner because I can't spell, right? So it means I can't read very well. I'm an audible learner myself. And so she said, what I, what I found was auto, audio Bibles where people read the Bible to me. And sometimes it's cool people. It's people that I know and I appreciate, and they'll read the Bible to me, and I can, like, when I'm running, listen to the Bible. Does that count? Yeah! I can have a podcast when I'm working out. I can have it on in the kitchen. I can listen to it when I'm falling asleep at night. I can turn it on when I'm in the morning. And she goes, I've been, I've been chewing through not only the Bible, but I've been chewing through commentaries. I've been chewing through great books that I've never been able to read before because I just wasn't a good reader. And oh my word, my everything has changed. And I don't know. She said, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without, without audio Bible. What did that do for her? It simply caused her to focus more on the word than the world. That's how we change our thinking. Win that battle and you win the war. Let's focus on the word. Number two, let's focus on generosity, not prosperity. Focus on generosity, not prosperity. I already said generosity hurts, right? If it doesn't hurt, then it's not generous. And we need to give until it hurts. We need to give sacrificially. Why would we do that? Why would we give because it hurts? Why would we fly to Haiti where it's dangerous, where we might get kidnapped and help children? Why would we give money away that we earned? Why would I give you my weekend to help tear down walls in a fellowship hall? Why would I use my gifts and stuff and talents to help build a church? Why would I do any of that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what he demonstrated to us. When he gave us sacrificially everything, now we have, we can give sacrificially back. And so many Christians think that salvation brings prosperity. I'm here to get a better life. I'm here to get more stuff. If I have favor with God, he's going to bless me. And that means it's going to rain money whenever I want it. That is not Christianity. The mark of a Christian is not that you're prosperous. A mark of a Christian is that you're generous. And we're not going after prosperity, we're going after generosity to be like Christ. He had no home, he had no bank account, he had no chariot or car, he had nothing to give, no place to lay his head, yet he had everything. And he generously gave. How can you in this season of thanksgiving be more generous? How can you sacrificially give? To be like Christ. The, when we get turned upside down is when we feel like we're losing our stuff. I can't have more money. I can't have more time. I can't have better health. What are you saying, God? How does that fare, God? I'm mad at you, God. Don't take away my stuff, God. I've worked hard for that, God. And when we start losing our prosperity, we start getting mad at God. Listen, if you've given it away, it's not yours anyway. Give Him your health. Give him your car, give him your family, give him your house, give him your bank account. Give it to him. And then you're not going to get upset when he takes it away. The giver of every perfect gift is God himself. Let's be like Christ and focus on generosity over prosperity. And number three, let's focus on gratitude, not grumbling. How do I reset my mind? I focus on gratitude, not grumbling. There is something to be thankful for in every moment of every day. And all God's people said, I'm going to say it again. There is something to be thankful for in every moment of every day. The problem is we are way better at finding something to complain about than we are something to be grateful for. We focus on it. We we bore into it. Teenagers, naturally you're good at this. You learned it from your parents. But the moment mom or dad says no... You say, What? That's just not fair. Like, I can't believe you wouldn't let me do that. I just wouldn't, but it shouldn't, and I'm gonna slam my door and and I'd be upset. And why couldn't you give me that? Did you know that your parents gave you three meals that day? They gave you a bed to sleep in and running water in your house so that you could get a shower. They paid for your haircut and the clothes that you're wearing. Do you know that they gave you rides to and from and are giving you an education? And in this one moment, they said, no, you now think it's not fair? But we do that to God all the time. And how dare you, God? How This isn't going perfectly. This isn't going the way I planned. It feels like it's out of control. And God, how could you possibly for one moment think that, but God's like, I'm giving you light. I'm giving you breath. I'm giving you an uh, animal. I give you a family. I've got you money. You're an American in 2021. You're like the richest person that's ever lived. Just try saying thank you every now and then instead of how dare you. And watch what happens. When we thank God for the small moments, when we, thank him for the, when we thank Him for the blessings in the middle of the storm, when we're able to turn our attention and focus, the problem is not that God's not there, the problem is that we just don't see Him. And so Philippians 4.8 says this, finally brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And if you need, if you need to check your attitude, if you need to check your mind, here's what, I, here's what I want to dare you to do. Take this list and write honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And then just fill in the blank. Find something that fits that category in your day. And then focus on that. How many times have you heard in the middle of an accident, uh, I I almost got hit by that car. (laughs) Praise God for his safety. My family was in a car accident where they drove through a stop, they stopped in the stop sign, they drove through, and a guy came flying through, never stalled the stop sign, came to a four-way stop, blew right past it, and T-boned them at full speed. My two kids and my wife were in the car. I could have very easily said, that guy wrecked my car, and he did, but my two kids and my wife were absolutely unharmed. I praise God that they're safe. I could care less about the car, and I could be thankful in this moment that he protected my family. And so many of us whine about the car, and we stop seeing the blessing, even in the middle of the storm. So let's focus on gratitude over grumbling. You see, a reset mind is a peace-filled mind. A reset mind is a peace-filled mind. And so then you can pray this third and final prayer, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving, thank you for giving, thank you for dying, thank you for saving, thank you for protecting, thank you for walking. God, thank you even for suffering. And so today, we want to pause. I want to challenge you to think about this in a very specific way for the rest of the week. It shouldn't be hard, it's Thanksgiving week. What do you have to be thankful for? What do you have to praise God for? What storm do you see Him in the middle of? How can you praise God for your church, for your family, for, your, for the life, for the blessings, and for the hurts that are there? And I want you to proclaim that praise to God. I want you to proclaim that praise to the world and demonstrate that your mind is now reset because your theology of suffering has been reset simply because you're following the example of Jesus. I want to invite us to take that posture even before we leave. And the praise team is going to come up and lead us in a season of celebration of who Jesus is. So will you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, will you for these next few moments just thank God? Just say thank you. And let, let whatever he brings to your mind be the praises that you bring to him. In the silence of the moment, would you start this Thanksgiving week off by saying, Lord, thank you. i uh-huh. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. Again, we encourage you to come back next week. If you're here this morning you have any questions about your own personal faith in Jesus, we want to point you to the Gospel tab on our website. And uh, we can invite you to have a conversation with us. We'd love for you to know for sure that you're following Jesus before you leave today. Don't forget to fill out your connection card. And in this week's connection card, let us know what you're thankful for. So go ahead and fill that out. You can put that in the offering boxes in the back or take it down to the connection card. Thank you to everybody who gives generously. Uh, we, are we appreciate your gifts and the way that you give to God in this way. Don't forget to come back tonight uh, for our vision meeting and our dinner. It'll be ha- happening at 5 p.m. and bring your best dish next week. Life lesson number seven. We're going to wrap it up. You are dismissed. Hey, thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to take a moment to fill out your connection card. Let us know what you've heard from God today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, we'd love to get those. This is something that you can share on social media. If you'd like to do that, we'd be honored that you pass the word along. And if you want to catch up on other uh, life lessons from this series, you can go to our YouTube channel or, or again to our website anytime to find out more. We've prayed over you. We've prayed over this message and we hope that God has used it in your life to take you one step forward your spiritual journey. Thanks for joining us
1: during this time, and we hope you'll be back again soon. Have a great rest of your day.